This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow. All in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to Business Executive Interviews, brought to you by Flevy.com. Improve the growth and efficiency of your organization by leveraging Flevy's library of business frameworks and analysis tools. For more information, visit Flevy.com. That's F-L-E-V-Y, Flevy.com. Our guest on this segment advises and provides assistance in the areas of for-profit technology startups, particularly in the health and medicine space, clinical practices and healthcare systems, publishing, and in the nonprofit development via equity, and is also involved in angel investing. So there's equity and angel investing as well for startups. Dr. Chris Stout is our guest. He's the founder of the Center for Global Initiatives, including a kindergarten he created for orphaned children in Tanzania. So fascinating. He serves on the faculty of the College of Medicine at the University of Illinois. He's also taught at Northwestern's Medical School and at Rush University. He was also part of, interestingly, a team to set five Guinness World Records. We'll find out more about that in this segment. Dr. Stout has lectured across the nation and internationally in over 25 countries and six continents. And uh, he was also voted by Hartwick College, one of the most frequently cited psychologists in the scientific literature. Uh, The World Economic Forum named him one of 100 global leaders of tomorrow. Let's welcome Dr. Chris Stout to the program. Chris, welcome. Oh, thank you, David. It's a great pleasure and honor to be on. Thanks. It's a privilege to have you. And uh, of course, you are a uh, active contributor to the Flevy.com platform, which we'll cover and talk more about there. But there's so much to cover with Dr. Chris Stout. First of all, I wanted to dive into the, the probably our audience is mostly in the business space at large. So I wanted to just unpack some of the activities you're doing when you're advising startups, both in the for-profit and, uh, and otherwise. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's a, a a very it seems to be these days a very hot space, which I'm I'm happy to uh, to say. There's a, I think a lot of um, 
uh, tech companies. The space that I tend to be in, as you noted, tends to be kind of uh, healthcare tech and, and medical tech kinds of things. And and what I find is that through the the contacts that I have and through AngelList and things like that, you know, I'll get pinged a lot about someone's new product or, or the next, you know, best great thing to make the world change in whatever kind of, of subspecialty. And I find that um, while there might be great products, there's uh, great product potential with whatever their companies are, um, that they are oftentimes lacking in um, kind of the the business chops or the kinds of things that are going to make them you know have a better pitch or the kinds of things that are going to help them um, know how to go out and, and get uh, mezzanine funding or get the attention of a VC or private equity. So I think a lot of the, the content that uh, I've shared with people through Flevi has been uh, to be able to you know take those steps out of it. And I think it's also through Flevi, there's, it's sort of a good housekeeping seal of approval that you sort of know that if it's in there, it's already been vetted by experts. It's not just some, you know, some something you find through a Google search or whatever that other people might be, you know, just, you know, slapping up out there as as something to get you to a paywall or something. So yeah. those are the kinds of areas I think that um, uh, at least with a lot of the, the people that I'm dealing with, it's been uh, you know really quite the, the increase. So it's business chop stuff. And I'm guessing maybe for the capital raise itself. Do I have that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. So the format for, in other words, we find frameworks on Flevi. So these are these are sort of I'll call them templates. My word for mm-hmm. uh, filling in the pitch deck, the business plan. Is is it that sort of stuff? Exactly. Exactly. And I think the the nice thing about it is that you know then people um, in some instances. I mean, sometimes it's it's sort of like giving suggestions and what to put in you know to your your pitch deck. And other times it can also be. Um, maybe in a even a, a different industry of like how does someone you know fill something out? What does one really look like? Because yeah. a lot of times these folks really haven't had that experience. They haven't gone to business school. They don't have MBAs. They may be physicians. They may be you know different kinds of healthcare uh, providers that are really competent in whatever it is that they're starting to build, but. Rather than going out and you know spending a fortune on um, you know consultative expertise and things like that, that it really kind of um, provides a, a very cost-effective and, and immediate at your fingertips tool set. Wonderful, and Chris, just to unpack this slightly more, are there particular uh, observations you've made about what these startup founders or what have you tend to get wrong or, or myths that they tend to believe in as as you talk to them about the business they're starting up? A couple of themes that you've noticed maybe that we see across the spectrum. Yeah, one of the things that, uh, I don't know if this is more so uh, recency versus primacy, but one of the things that I, I've seen a lot lately is uh, people with startups really maybe initially too quickly, in my opinion, focusing on branding. And while from a physician's reputation or a practice's reputation or an academic rep, rep, uh, reputation, that I can certainly see why that would be, that, that you know, there's a good halo effect to that. But unless someone really has their intellectual property buttoned down, their product really kind of you know, vetted and tested, if there's things like FDA approvals or other kinds of uh, external approvals and things like that, until the product is really sort of ready to go, um, that's that's really where I think you know a startup success or or difficulties, not necessarily failure, but making life easier for them is really predicated upon having that really buttoned down and and battle tested and ready to go, and then taking that great product and then emphasizing the brand and you know getting out there with getting it to market and, and whatnot. But I think a lot of times people 
have you know an enthusiasm for the the product and sort of assume that everything's you know everyone will see it as great as they do once they see it and then focus on the brand and marketing and and uh, PR kinds of aspects. But I really kind of put people's you know feet to the fire and and say you know well, let's let's acid test this. Let me be a customer. Let me be a potential you know investor. Let me be a role play whatever. Thing it is that may be coming down the pike for them, and you know, see how they respond, and kind of coach them through that to kind of see what uh, where they're at with it, and and if it's really at a level of maturity that that I think they're ready to go with. And Chris, is this a, uh, a professional service that you offer on a paid basis for uh, those listening, so they know? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay, I. Yeah, it can be uh, either um, you know helping people uh, get their practices or their startups or uh, whatever apps and things like that going, uh, as well as um, uh, maybe, you know, things, maybe the uh, whatever venture isn't going so well, and maybe there might be additional needs for marketing or getting another round of funding. Um, any of those kinds of things are, are things that I get pretty involved with. And sometimes, sometimes early money in uh, as an angel advisor as well, too. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And you're still right about the branding thing. I mean, those of us that have been around advertising and communications, we, sure, we understand that there's the, as you call it, the halo effect or the, the image of the business. But the brand also, it's been argued that it truly lives inside the operational part of the business, the customer experience part of the business. And in, in your example, the, the way investors will tend to interpret the pitch and the quality of the founders, which I know is a big part of uh, the equation when uh, you're dealing particularly well with any investor, right? Right. Yeah, I think that that's spot on. I mean, it really can kind of you know the 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 startup um, individual or the you know group if it's a practice or something like that. You know, there's really oftentimes I've found like this wonderful ethos and wonderful spirit to that, and you want to be able to maintain that. You want to be able to make that public. You want you know you want people you know like. Tom shoes or you know certain kinds of iconic brands that are out there you know are that because you know, when people learn their origin story they're really impressed by it and that inspires them and they want to they want to be a part of it the the tricky part of it can then become when uh, you know you've got the American apparels and the ubers and the things like that where you know founders maybe get a little sideways with things sometimes so mm-hmm. it can be a very you know a very delicate balance between you know the the public face of, of founders and and their their personas uh, as long as it's good <laughs> then that's good but yeah yeah it, re- it really is it really is something that uh, you know uh, filters down through again the, the the ethos and the fabric of the company and for those working with you have the benefit of you being a trained psychologist I'm sure that absolutely folds into all of this we're talking about behavior of the founders first of all uh, uh, and, and and an understanding that is probably uh, quite valuable to the process they're in and for formulating all of this to not only raise money, but actually operate a business successfully and in a durable way. So, so beautiful. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Thanks. I would like to think so. And also uh, a lot of getting through anxious moments as well too. (laughs) Oh yeah. Just the psychology of, of the stress of going through this process, you know, leveraging your 401k or what have you to get this done. Yeah. Well, that's so, uh, so interesting. So uh, I wanted to spend a little time that we, as we are together with the, uh, Center for Global Initiatives. What is that? And, and tell us a little bit more about your involvement. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm uh, the founding director of that. Uh, we're having our 10th anniversary of uh, being a certified 501c3. It's basically, thank you. It's basically a, um, 
uh, a nonprofit where everybody that's a part of it are all volunteers. None of us uh, take a nickel, which is nice. So then any donations that come in are able to go to the work. And we've been involved in a variety of different kinds of projects that are on our website, centerforglobalinitiatives.org. But our key one, and the one that's really kind of what got us started, was a, a project in Tanzania working with children that had been uh, orphaned by virtue of losing their parents to AIDS and um, then working with them in the orphanage and then helping to uh, develop, the, as you mentioned in the intro, a kindergarten, which we were very proud of. And mm. did that really on a, a very, very, very inexpensive uh, budget with a lot of smart volunteer people putting together materials that then were submitted to the Ministry of Education in collaboration with our partners in Tanzania. Um, and the Ministry of Education in Tanzania approved it, and, and it's been operational for, gosh, probably close to 10 years now. So wow. um, we've we've maintained our relationships with them kind of through thick and thin. The primary focus is, is with the kids, and sometimes sure. the kids' focus is around health issues. So uh, our partners there um, are also involved in two hospitals, so mm. we get involved with uh, nursing education. Uh, we've had a couple years ago, we had uh, just a very bad malaria uh, outbreak. And, you know, the, the, the key for malaria management is, you know, like mosquito nets and things like that, which are fairly inexpensive. But the problem is that's great for people that aren't infected. But, you know, our job was to help work with the people that were infected. So um, we did a campaign with that and we found that we were able to, you know, just, you're not going to believe this, but we were able to go through an entire uh, treatment protocol on average cost of 73 cents. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah, you're right. So I don't called, believe it. How cool. Yeah, we called it our 73 cents a life project, which, you know, just really kind of was our point to say, you know, even if, you know, you know we're not looking necessarily, we, we, we'd love big donations, but, um, you know, even if you can just donate a buck, you know, then, yeah. Uh, you know, that can make a difference in actually saving someone's life. So we really feel like, you know, and we had no vision that that would be the case. We really feel like, you know, we've we've learned with our collaborators and partners and all the countries that we're in, of, you know, those wonderful kinds of things that we can, if you try to be kind of smart with the way that you do things and work in partnership with people, that uh, you can really have a, a wonderful global impact. Wow, bringing your organizational uh, intelligence to all of this. By the way, the website, <laughs> centerforglobalinitiatives.org is the website. And I'm looking at uh, uh, three volumes of the New Humanitarians. This looks like a, a three-volume series, books, and a tour of six mm -hmm. con continents uh, mm -hmm. led by men and women of various ages and backgrounds. So tell us a little bit more about that work, if you like. Sure. Yeah, that was a, a fun project when we were kind of getting ourselves together about uh, pitching to, so to speak, to the IRS of being able to go from this group of people to um, of our our organization to actually becoming you know a charity and and five uh, official five hundred one c three. I had a lot of friends that uh, had done the same thing, so I kind of wanted to know how they did it. So. I got a group of uh, graduate students together, and we one thing led to another, and we wound up doing uh, contacting uh, over 45 different uh, individuals, most of which were people that I'd had some kind of friendship with or, or uh, working relationship with. And we put together this book, and each chapter is based upon a different organization. So there's a chapter on Doctors Without Borders. There's a mm -hmm. chapter on Amnesty International, et cetera, et cetera. And it gave us sort of this opportunity to interview folks to find out, you know, well, how did you start and what gave you the idea and what 
what would you do different today than, you know, or do different back then with what you know today kinds of things. So for us, you know, for me, it was like this mercenary cool experience to be able to kind of, you know, dig deep, you know, with, with friends. I kind of knew pieces about their origin story, but maybe not the full details or maybe not the, you know, the, the difficulties and things, which was also kind of people were so frank and so honest with sharing. You know, it's not like yeah. everything was always perfect and, and butterflies and roses kind of a thing. So um, we really felt like it was sort of one part of it. The chapters were things that were sort of instructional. Like here's how they went about doing it, and how might that work if I wanted to do something similar. And the other part, it was just really inspirational as to you know why did you do this in the first place? I mean, it's just every one of these are just really a, a a hero, and and we call them the new humanitarians because historically a lot of humanitarian work. Uh, gets done by someone, you know, sitting in a in a posh office, you know, in a in a major United States urban area, right. and most of these folks are in country in the countries that they were born in, and and you know, develop these programs themselves, or in a different country that they weren't born in, but certainly not the United States, and are doing just you know, yeoman's work, rolling up their sleeves, being in the trenches, sometimes in dangerous situations, as you would know, like with Doctors Without Borders, for yes. example, doing just amazing stuff, and we felt that that's really kind of a new spirit. That's a new, you know, I've got skin in the game. Yes, I'm running this thing. Yes, I've got, you know, organizational chops and whatever else is I need to do the fundraisers and I need to have the website and I need to manage the board. But also I'm in country, you know, and I am, you know, these are people that I break bread with. These are friends of mine that I work with. You know, these are people that uh, with whatever the organizations are doing, there's, there's no disconnect. I mean, they're, yes. they're very boots on the ground kinds of folks. Yes. Love that. You're really planting seeds. They're, they're right there, tangential parallel to the populations that they're serving in a sense. And, uh, and they have a deeper understanding or a different understanding about, about that connectivity or uh, around mm-hmm. that connectivity. It's so beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So much happening. So uh, we've been visiting with Dr. Chris Stout. Uh, he can be found in numerous places. Probably the easiest way with like the, the, the central hub would be the very easy name, which is drchrisstout.com. And from that portal, people can find out more about books, nonprofit projects, podcasts, anything else that, uh, that we're up to. So beautiful. That's Dr. Chris Stout, S-T-O-U-T.com. Dr. Chris Stout, thank you so much for joining us on the program. And of course, you can find his work and his templates and frameworks at flevy.com. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, David. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening to Business Executive Interviews, brought to you by Flevy.com. Improve the growth and efficiency of your organization by leveraging Flevy's library of business frameworks and analysis tools. Find them at Flevy.com. That's F-L-E-V-Y, Flevy.com. Remember, you can hear more interviews like these by subscribing to the Flevy.com channel on YouTube or the Business Executive Interviews podcast on iTunes. (music) 